My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us online this morning. Uh, if you got your Bibles, open up to uh, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Um, we might finish Mark chapter 8 today, and we might not. We'll see. But uh, one of the things that I have found really handy about these ESV uh, scripture journals is that I don't have to search for the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's just there. That's the only thing uh, in the book. So uh, if you don't have one of these and you're a member of our Sunday School, uh, reach out to me and let me know and I can uh, get you one. Uh, even in the midst of uh, the pandemic, uh, Amazon is still running, so we can uh, make that happen. But um, if you got your Bibles, uh, open up to Mark chapter 8. I want to make sure we ask the question that we do each week, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? Uh, and hopefully there is a, a drawing, a, um, a clarifying, a enlightening that the Spirit is doing uh, in your life through the Word so that uh, we see Jesus more clearly and can understand how to follow Him uh, as a group and individually even better. So Mark chapter 8, so good morning to everybody. So Barry's in a different language this morning. Uh, I'm just going to say good morning. Uh, the barbers and one cat, so hello everybody there. Uh, the Englishes and uh, Brittany Janika, so good morning guys. It's good to, good to have you guys with us. So Mark chapter 8, I'm going to read the entire chapter, uh, and then we'll start kind of in the middle of verse 33 is about where we left off uh, last week. So if you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he also said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus, having laid his hands on him again, he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. But he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. So we've had some more folks join this morning. So good morning to the uh, McClures, the Samsels. Good morning, Cheryl. Good morning, uh, Margie's on as well as Dave. So bandwidth is running heavy at their house. Uh, looks like the Arnolds are here. Good morning. Uh, the Greggs from Tennessee. So, oh, you guys are here. Great. Fantastic. That's awesome. And then the, uh, the Archers with Taylor, Abigail, and Stephen. Fantastic. Well, welcome, you guys. It's, uh, I wish I could see you. That'd be great. I'd hug your necks and say hello, and uh, it'd be wonderful to see you. But uh, good morning from afar, and I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. So, so last week we started this section. If you look at your handout, the handouts are available at OurSundaySchool.com, right there on the main page. Uh, last week we started looking at this section of the text, verses uh, 31 through uh, 38. And uh, breaking, breaking up into at least two weeks, possibly three, we'll see. There's a lot going on here. Uh, it's a big transition section here in, in Mark's Gospel. Uh, but we looked at verses 31, 32, and then all the way up to verse 33. Uh, so we'll pick up in verse 33 this morning and, and see if we can uh, see how far we get this morning. So verse 33, but turning, so this is Jesus, turning and seeing his disciples, he's looking at all of his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And uh, Matt, if you're on this morning, uh, you might not be because I know uh, you had a lot going on this morning. We're praying for you guys. Love you guys. Uh, we'd love to support you. 
Uh, so I'll pause here and mark eight and come back in a second. So if you're a member of Our Sunday School, you're also included in the Our Sunday School Facebook group, uh, the private group, not the public group. Uh, and in the private group, there is a meal train that's been set up. Uh, I would love for you guys to go and check that out and assist uh, because that's what we do. So there you go. So back to uh, verse 33. He turned and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Now, Matt, you had a question last week about uh, who Jesus was actually talking to. And I would say that he was talking to Peter because the text says he was talking to Peter. So we'll go with that. So he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, one of the things that we left off last week with was in the early uh, portions of Mark's gospel, when Jesus is calling the disciples, the word that he uses to follow me is the same word that he uses here when he says, get behind. So in some sense, there's a reminder to Peter of his proper place, which is behind Christ, not in front of and filtering Christ. So this word for behind is the same word that shows up in Mark 1.7, Mark 1.17, and Mark 1.20. 17 and 20 being the, the call, uh, come follow me uh, directives that Jesus gives. So this is a present active imperative, this get behind. Uh, the word get actually is a present active imperative. It's to be repeatedly followed, and we talked a lot about that last week, this idea that, that this call to follow Christ is not a one-time only call. It's a always-on, never-stopping command to know and be in our place related to uh, the position and the person and the work of Christ. Uh, we are not Jesus Christ, and I am uh, stunningly thankful for that truth because I cannot imagine bearing the weight of the sins of the world, the, the weight of flawless obedience to the Father, the, the weight of perfect everything. I mean, it's just... It's incredible. So we, we should, as disciples of Christ, rightly know our place, rightly follow in behind our Savior, because that's what sheep do. Sheep follow shepherds, and this is a good thing. So he says, get behind me, uh, Satan. Uh, now this word for Satan is a, a singular. He's just talking to, to one. There's a very singular way here. So this, again, reinforces the concept that he's talking directly to Peter here. Uh, and Satan is known in the New Testament, and specifically in Mark's Gospel, as the adversary or the accuser. Uh, this is the word Satanus. Uh, this is the specific word for Satan. And uh, so he is actually calling Peter Satan because he is accusing the work of God. And the one who does this best is actually Satan. So, so Peter is, he goes in just a couple of verses. Sorry, I hit the stand here. Peter goes in a couple of verses from, yes, the Holy Spirit has revealed this to you, to behaving like Satan. And we talked about this a little last week as well, this idea that, hi, my name's Jim and I'm guilty of this too, right? And I, I'm guessing you probably are as well, um, that we can switch back and forth between obedience and disobedience in just a heartbeat. Uh, and it's scary and it's a reminder again, we're not Jesus, right? Jesus flawlessly executed the Father's will and that's not us, and it wasn't the original disciples either, which is kind of encouraging because uh, sometimes when we teach the Bible, these Bible characters get elevated to this position of high and lofty perfectionism, and that's just not the case. Uh, one of the things that I think is specifically interesting about Mark's gospel is that we believe, according to some very, very early church fathers' writings, that, that Peter is actually the one that told Mark, since Mark wasn't a 
uh, an individual uh, frontline uh, first-person observer of these events that Peter told Mark what happened, and Mark uh, wrote these things down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the things that Jesus calling Peter out here publicly in front of the disciples that gets included in Mark's gospel, which is just a retelling of what Peter remembered. Uh, and I, I think it shows Peter's humility at that point in his life where where he had come to grips with his real position as a subordinate, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and not as an equal, um, and certainly not as the leader of Christ. So here we go. So he says, uh, get behind me, Satan, for... So there's a reason here. There's a, there's a uh, explanation that Jesus gives as to what he is doing. For you are not setting your mind... This is the phreneo, this is the present active... So this is supposed to be something he's, he's regularly doing. You're not regularly setting your mind or exercising your mind or being interested in the things of God. This is an interesting translation because the Greek is actually the, the God. And the, the continuation of this is but the, the man. Uh, so he says you're not, you're not focused on God. You're focused on man. Your, your mind is focused on this. And I think this is an interesting observation that Jesus makes here in his rebuke, is that he doesn't actually rebuke Peter, it doesn't appear, for the words that he says. He rebukes him for the origination of the words, this, this activity in his mind that wasn't focused on Christ. He's focused on the things of man. He's focused on the people around him. He's focused on how Jesus is going to be perceived to those around him. And he doesn't want... Uh, apparently, he doesn't want his rabbi to be, if you go back earlier, when I was going to be looking at the text, it began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days and rise again. He, he, Peter didn't want that message to get out. And the, the ironic thing is that Peter gets rebuked for Jesus explaining a message that Peter is later killed for his diehard, like literal, diehard commitment to. So Peter takes this to heart. He takes this rebuke to heart uh, eventually later on in his Christian walk. So um, now I've gotten off here. There we go. All right. So you're not setting your thing. You're not setting your mind. You're not. Uh, you're not focusing your mind. You're not exercising your mind. You're, you're not. Uh, setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So and then verse 34, let's make sure we're here. The McGarveys are here on your 23rd anniversary. That's fantastic. Uh, for those of you wondering, this is an ADHD teacher's dream, by the way, to have a constant stream of information coming in while I am trying to teach the Bible. <laughs> it is, it's just, it's theological pinball in my brain right now. So uh, happy anniversary to the McGarveys, 23 years. Fantastic. Uh, and the Arnolds are here and say happy anniversary too. Good deal. Fantastic. So verse 34 is a, is a scene shift, if you will, in Mark's gospel. So one of the, I love watching movies. I love watching how directors put movies together and what the setting and the scene and who's around and who can hear and how the characters interact. And when I, when I read the scripture, I'm, I try, not always, but I try to be cognizant, to be aware of who's around and is the speaker aware of that, not aware of that, and being intentional of that, with that information? And the great thing about studying Jesus' life is that we know he's always aware and he's always doing things on purpose. And 
everything he does is perfect and holy and right in all aspects of it. So we know that what Jesus is about to say right here is the holiest thing that he could say. It's the most perfect set of words that the Son of Man could utter at this point. So it's, it's beautiful that we get to study Christ and see exactly how perfection lives. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. So verse 34, and calling the crowd to him. So there was a so some level of a crowd around him. So he calls them in closer. So the scene shifts. We think that it was just the disciples that were in close uh, a couple of verses earlier. So calls the crowd into him or to him uh, with his disciples. So we've got the crowd and the disciples. So Jesus, you know, Jesus has these circles of influence and in teaching that he, that he speaks to uh, throughout Mark's gospel. So the, the circle is getting a little bigger here. And he said to them, so this is to the crowd and the disciples, if anyone, ooh, I'm thankful for the anyone, would, and this word means to, to choose or prefer or to be inclined to or to, to delight in. So if you, if you choose, if you decide, if you are inclined to, and then the next words are, come after me. And that word after again is that word, follow me. If you want to get in the back, if you want to, if you want to get behind me and follow where I as the shepherd lead, then here we go. Now, one of the things that you might look at Jesus' words to the crowd here, and you might think, well, how are they connected to what just happened? Well, it's, it's actually this word after. It's the word the back. It's the word follow me. If any would come or to go to the back with me, because he just got finished telling Peter, that's where your position is. Your sheep follow, disciples follow. Disciples don't lead relative to their relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is the connecting word to the prior section of Scripture. Not prior section, the prior uh, paragraph of Scripture. So if any would uh, come after me, if anybody wants to get in the back, let him deny. Now, get your thinking caps on for a second because this is going to get a little bit crazy. So this is a third singular heiress middle deponent imperative. There's not a lot of these in the New Testament. <laughs> okay, So um, the, the singular is talking about the, the one person. The aorist is a, an idea of the essence of a word without restriction to time. So we think in um, present tense, uh, past tense, future tense. Aorist is just that thing existed. It's, it's irrespective of time. It's not really bound by time. Uh, the middle means it's done to you, and the imperative is a command. So let him deny. So this is something that's done to the subject. Uh, let him deny, but it's a command without respect to time. So again, we see this, this broad, uh, uh, unbound uh, command that Jesus gives here to deny ourselves. And this word deny just means to disown or to abstain. Um, I, I want to show you a couple of other places in Mark's gospel where this word shows up. So let's go to Mark 14, 30. Mark 14, 30. <laughs> Amy's in the ATL airport. I just talked about you, Amy. Fantastic. Good morning. Hey, Mom. Good morning. All right, Mark 14, 30. Uh, so this, this word, deny, shows up one, two, three, four times in Mark's gospel. 
So the first time it shows up is Jesus talking to the crowd after he's just rebuked Peter, so closely associated with Peter. Mark 14, 30, and Jesus says to him, this is Peter again, um, oh, let's go to 29. Peter said to Jesus, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So that deny in verse 30 is the second time. But Peter, he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's the third time. And they all said the same. And then the last time this shows up is at the very end of Mark chapter 14, which is like the longest chapter in the New Testament. It's cra- it might not be, but it is crazy long. It's 72 verses, right? And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. So the word is used four times in Mark's gospel, all four times circling around this character of Peter and Peter's denial. Um, And the crazy thing is what Jesus commanded Peter to do in Mark 8.34 is the exact opposite of what he does in Mark chapter 14. Because he says, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. And saying that you don't know your rabbi is not following your rabbi. This is not following the shepherd. So Jesus continues with his, his explanation here. Let him deny himself. So this is a command. Let him deny himself and take up. So we got another aorist active. So we have an aorist active imperative this time. So there's some, uh, the subject is doing the work here. It's not being acted upon. So there's some active work that we are commanded to do. Uh, Let him take up or lift up or take away his. And then this is one of those words that I can't believe is in the New Testament. Because some of you have little kids around. And if you have little kids around, that's absolutely fine. I'm not going to say anything off color here. Um, But what I will tell you is that there are very likely words that aren't allowed to be said in your house. Okay, There are words that are just uh, not proper for... When company comes over, right? Things that you don't say. There are words that when you hear your children say them to each other, you correct them, right? Now, Julie and I, we had words like this that we had in our house that like, hey, don't, don't call your sister that. Hey, don't call your brother that. Don't say that word. That's not polite, right? That's not a polite word to be said in company. And, and this word right here that's next, right after the word his, is not a polite word, in first century culture. When a judge would uh, listen to a court case and uh, declare someone guilty, if, if if their guilt needed to be punished by a crucifixion, by hanging on a cross, they wouldn't say, you are sentenced to die on the cross. They would say something like, hang him on the unlucky tree. Because the word cross wasn't polite language. It was, it was considered a bit on the uncouth, vulgar side. And, and here's a rabbi that says, if you want to follow me, what do you do? You deny yourself and you pick up something that's not polite. And I, I, I weep for a our, our culture sometimes, in America specifically, the, the church in the West, because we have so sanitized Christianity that it's become this thing where we don't get our hands dirty and everything's nice and neat and clean. And that's just not the call that Jesus gave out. 
He, he gave out a call using a word that wasn't used in polite company. The cross. There's nothing about the cross that's nice and neat and clean. It's not a structured, orderly, beautiful thing. If you've ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, it was it was just awful, right? And that's just a that's just a, a movie director's version of what it was. It's just it's a horrible, horrible thing. So Jesus calls this crowd of people, including his disciples, to go and pick up a cross. So we sometimes sanitize this into, oh, there are tough things you might need to do. Those aren't the words he said. He said death will like actively go pursue an instrument of death and carry it around. Because when you pick up a cross, you are on your way to death. So look at where else this word is used in Mark's gospel. Look at Mark 15, 21. Mark 15, 21. Well, let's start with verse 20. And when they had mocked him, this is Jesus, they stripped him that... Jesus isn't doing the mocking. He's being mocked. Uh, They stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Because death was near. You didn't pick up a cross until death was near. And Jesus is saying... Deny yourself, deny what your flesh wants, and go and actively pick up a cross. Because following Christ, Jesus associates it with death. So let's not skip past that part, because it's a really serious command. And it is a command the command to deny, the command to take up. And, right, it's not just you go pick up a cross and carry it wherever you want. No, 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 no. And follow me. Get in the back. This word is a bit different than the uh, earlier word from follow or to get into the back. This is a present active imperative. This never stops. This is a command to be repeatedly obeyed for the rest of a person's life. To be in the same way with. To accompany as a disciple. Now, imagine what would have happened right here if the crowd had literally understood what Jesus was calling them to do. What would the crowd do at that point? Because remember, the crowd is following Jesus all around this geographical area for dozens and hundreds of miles away to be healed. Right? They wanted something. They wanted to be fed. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be taught. But there's very few actual followers, followers of Jesus Christ that, that we see throughout Mark's gospel that are serious about this. There's vast majority of folks come and get healed, and then they're gone, and that's it. That's all they really care about. Because, quite frankly, that's all many of us care about sometimes. It's just ourselves. But Jesus is calling them here to deny self, Take up cross, follow me. This is, this, is, this is really serious language that Jesus throws at them. And if they'd have understood it, many of them would have just turned around and left at that point. And that's actually what we see in several different parts of the New Testament. And when Jesus gets really plain and clear, when he's no longer speaking in parables about 
his uh, plan, his uh, execution of the Father's plan, then people flake out on him and leave, right? Because that's not, that doesn't build up me and my glory. That's something about Jesus and his glory, and I'm, I don't know if I'm really interested in that or not. So verse 35, because he's not done, right? Why would he be done? <clears throat> For whoever, again, love the word whoever, would, uh, this is the choosing, this is the wishing, this is the in- inclined to, again, Whoever would save, it's a Greek word sozo, it's the, where we get our word soteriology, it's the study of salvation, it's the idea that, that there's a rescue, that there's a deliverance or a protection here. Whoever would protect or save his own life, uh, there's a footnote in the ESV about how this word is used in a couple different places in this text. Uh, this word is used a couple of different times in Mark. Uh, if you look back at Mark verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 4, Mark 3, 4. So Jesus is talking, uh, he's in the synagogue here, and uh, he said to them, uh, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill? So in this context, it is a, you either rescue the physical life or you kill the physical life, right? Okay, I'll show you a couple other options here for uh, understanding. 1045, 1045. So for this son of man, again, this son of man language, the son, the man, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we know that Christ sacrificed his own physical flesh for many, right? This is the, the message of the New Testament. Uh, and then we'll look at Mark twelve thirty. Mark twelve thirty. This is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes it here in the New um, verse, we'll start with 29. And Jesus answered, uh, actually, let's go with 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, Jesus answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I hate cutting Jesus off in the middle of a quote. I'm going to read a little more. But the word for uh, soul there is the same word for, it's the Greek word suke. Uh, it's the same word used here in Mark 8, uh, 35, uh, that you love the Lord with all your soul. This is everything you've got, right? This is your, your physical life and your, your, your soul inside, right? We have a we have a body, we have a soul. Um, oh, there's a, there's a really awful quote uh, by some folks that goes around every once in a while on Facebook. Let me just debunk this real quick. Uh, you see this quote that says, uh, uh, you are a soul, you have a body. That's garbage. Please stop sharing that. Uh, we have a soul and a body. We have both. Uh, in the new, uh, uh, new heavens and new earth, we're going to have a soul and a body. So we've, we've kind of always got that. So it's not just one or the other. One's not more important than the other. When God made man, he actually made the flesh part first and breathed into him, and he became a living being at that point. Uh, so be real careful about how we uh, summarize really complex theological points on Facebook. It's generally just not helpful. So here we go. So go back. So verse 35. So whoever would save his life, his life or his soul, his breath, will lose it, will perish. It's not going to work, 
right? Because if, if I personally try to do this myself, it's not going to work. I'm going to lose it, lose it being uh, my soul. I keep hitting the stand here. I'm sorry about that, guys. But, yay, yay, there's an alternative. Whoever, again, love the whoever. It's beautiful. Whoever loses his life for or on account of my sake. Now, notice there's no bracketed word after uh, sake because the word sake is really added for uh, English clarity. I actually think it, it doesn't help. You could read it this way, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel. It's like, oh, okay, that's, a, that's good, right? Uh, and the gospel is what? It's the good news. It's the good message that Jesus uh, came and lived and died and rose again for us. This is really, really good news. Um, one of the other evidences that I believe that Mark chapter 8 is kind of the turning point for it's the, the transition inflection point in from a literary perspective in all of Mark's gospel is if you look at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, the word gospel shows up, Evangelion shows up in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 1, verse 14, verse 15. We see this transition that Jesus makes being very plain and clear with what's going on in the middle of or toward the end of chapter 8. And then in the very end, we see in 16:15 he concludes it up and we're still talking about the gospel. Right? It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus. And if you're wondering about the other references, well, two of the other three talk about future things that happen related to the gospel. Like, this is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is it's a beautiful, beautiful story. So Jesus says, I'm going to back up again, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Good to know. So it almost sounds like a paradox here, but it's not a, it's, it's not a contradiction. It's just a paradox. It's just difficult. For, so there's another reason here, for what does it profit? All right. That's a fun word. This is to be useful or to benefit from. It, let's look back in Mark uh, 5.26. Mark 5.26. So verse 25 says, There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, that's the word prophet, but rather grew worse. So this word, the first time it's used in Mark's gospel, talks about physical health. All right, great, good to know. Look at Mark seven eleven. Somewhere Sean's making a joke. Uh, <laughs> but you, it's your anniversary, I'll let you have it. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me that profited from me is Corbin that is given to God. So here we're talking about, uh, we, when we were going through Mark chapter 7, this financial component, right? So the first time it's used, it's physical, health. The second time it's used, it's financial. And then the last time it's used here is in Mark eight thirty six. For what does it profit a man? So it's a broad word. It means to be useful or benefit. Whatever is useful or benefits you whether it's health or whether it's money or whatever it is, right? So what does it profit a man to gain? Only time this word's used in Mark's gospel. The whole world, the whole cosmos, and forfeit or injure or uh, to, to uh, have detriment associated with, and this is the only time this word forfeit's used in the Mark's gospel, to his soul. For what, again, Jesus just goes on this logic blitz here. For what, assigning a reason, man, uh, for what man 
I'm sorry, for what can a man give in return or is a ransom or is equivalent or a trade, if you will, for his soul? Like, what can you trade out for your soul? Nothing, right? You can't, I can't sell it. Right? No matter how much Charlie Daniels wanted to tell you that the devil went down to Georgia and the poor boy sold his soul so he could play the fiddle, you can't sell your soul. It's not the way this works. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed or feels shame for me uh, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, so in this age, in this time period that we're in, of him will the son, the man, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. It's pretty clear. Can't sell your soul. It's not the way this works. We're not to be ashamed. We're to deny, pick up that cross, and follow him. Pretty straightforward. So let's take a look at a couple of applications, and I'm just going to add on to the applications from last week. So uh, application number six, uh, sinful things can lead to, uh, sorry, sinful thinking can lead to sinful actions. Sinful thinking can lead to sinful actions. So how do we... Like, how do, like what, do we, what do we do with that, right? We follow the Son of Man. If we are rightly in our position of following Jesus Christ, it's going to help align us to what the Master is thinking and doing. We can see that closely. It's a good thing. Application number seven. Uh, following Jesus is constant denial and taking up. It is denying self and taking up. It is a reminder that death is near. You know, the Bible talks about our, our life is but a vapor. It's over very, very quickly. But there's something that's coming that's, that's so much longer, so much better even. Right? So what do we do with that? What, if, if following Jesus is constant denial and taking up, what do we do? We follow the Son of Man. Right? Uh, application number eight. Uh, the Christian life is paradoxical. Right? There are things that are, that are hard to understand, and I'm so thankful for Jesus' teaching ministry in that he just makes some things clear to us. Uh, these poor disciples, they had to wait, you know, this is, this is months and months, maybe even a year or a year and a half into the teaching ministry of Jesus before he begins to make things very plain for them. So if the Christian life is paradoxical, what do we do? How do we keep from being confused? We follow the Son of Man, <laughs> right? We stay close to the one who has truth, who speaks life who is able to explain in ways that we can then understand, which is good. And then uh, application number nine, just to, just to make sure we understand this, our soul is worth more than any profit, than any health, than any wealth, than any happiness, if I could complete the unholy triad. Uh, our soul is worth more than any profit. So how do we, like, what do we do to combat that, that false thinking that, oh, these shiny things are going to distract me from following the, the Son of Man? We follow the Son of Man, right? We don't get out of line. We continue to follow the Master because the Good Shepherd knows what is good for the sheep, and it is a good thing for us. The best thing that we can always do is obey the words of God because He knows all. He knows what's best for us, and he knows what's best for him. And our obedience is best for all involved. 
is a reflection of God's glory back to him so that others might see what we do and understand who our Father actually is, who our Savior is, how the Spirit works in our lives. It's a reflection of the truth of the Trinity. It's a beautiful thing. So with that, I am exhausted. I forgot to look. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, uh, I forgot to look and see if you had any comments, but it didn't look, look like you did. I uh, apologize. We're a couple minutes over. I didn't want to split this up into three weeks. I think we could get it through in two, so we did. Uh, so next week, we'll start with an overview of Mark chapter 9. Uh, the handout's actually already on the OurSundaySchool.com uh, website, so go there, take a look at the handout. This is where we review our process. This is where we review our pray, hear, think, uh, talk, share, invite. Uh, and that's what I want you to do for Mark chapter 9. That's our homework for next week. Uh, so right now, if you would, if you've got any prayer requests, please feel free to uh, share those in the comments. Um, we'd love to pray for you specifically. Uh, I'd love for you to pray for somebody that's not physically present with you right now. And then uh, at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, uh, feel free to head over to one of our campuses or to watch online and uh, engage in the worship of the Son of Man right? Jesus is beginning to, to show us who he is and what he's coming to do. And it is a beautiful thing. And God help us should we ever war with him in his declaration of who he is. Let's stop fighting Jesus and let's follow the son of man. Thanks guys. Love you. Can't wait to see you soon. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.